0: your flight activity may be visible to anyone with an internet connection. Here's what you can do to prevent that. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news and information. From a popular Twitter account dedicated to tracking one particularly well-known entrepreneur's Gulfstream jet to the ability to monitor U.S. military aircraft movements across Eastern Europe, the proliferation of commercial flight tracking services and global deployment of Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast, or ADSB continue to drive privacy concerns for operators of business aircraft. Now, there are resources available to shield that information, but is your flight operation following all the steps necessary to keep your flights truly private? Joining me today to help answer that question is Doug Carr, NBAA's Senior Vice President of Safety, Security, Sustainability, and International Operations, and Heidi Williams, NBAA's Senior Director for Air Traffic Services and Infrastructure. And Heidi, let's get directly to those resources I mentioned, starting with the Limited Aircraft Data Displayed, or LAD, program.
1: is the replacement for what we knew as bar program, that the blocking program that allowed operators to essentially navigate the NAS in an anonymous mode without sharing all of your company and, and private information with those who are utilizing tracking systems. So you actually make application with the FAA for the LAD program. They allow you to really opt to share your information if you desire to do so with various vendors that you may utilize for your business, or you may block at the the source and keep that information from being shared with the public or with vendors who utilize FAA data.
0: Doug, how does another part of this effort, the Privacy ICAO Address Program, or PIA, further protect operator privacy?
2: The PIA program is designed to enhance the ability to fly anonymously within the U.S. airspace system. The PIA program consists of two parts that are designed to interrupt identifiable information being shared by an aircraft's mode S transponder. The first is the ICAO code or the HEX code that six-digit code that is assigned to every MODAS transponder. The first part is to allow the FAA to assign a non-published hex code, ICAO code, to that aircraft for that Mode S transponder. That code does not translate back to any aircraft registry information listed uh, on the FAA's Uh, aircraft database. The second part of this is for the aircraft operator to secure a third-party call sign, and there are three or four of them out there all publicly available, so that the flight ID of the MODAS transponder, which if left unaltered for general aviation aircraft, usually will consist of the aircraft tail number, so that the flight ID can be used instead of the tail number, and that flight ID is also not connected to any aircraft registry information. With both of those, that helps an aircraft operator within the United States to shield their information much better from public display.
0: So under PIA, the aircraft might still show up on a commercial flight tracking site that pulls ADSB data, but it wouldn't have any personally identifiable information attached to it.
2: In most cases, uh, that aircraft will still show up because there's an aircraft that's still sharing information. The good part about the PIA program is that it will not connect to any information about the aircraft or the operator, the ownership information for the aircraft.
0: Heidi, what do operators need to do in order to register for LAD and PIA?
1: Operators go direct to the FAA to subscribe to LAD, they do the same thing with PIA, just to share. I mean, lad.faa.gov is, is the website if you sign up for LAD. And, and you really need to do that. As Doug said, there's a couple parts to that PIA and, and you need to acquire a call sign from a third party vendor But you also need to be part of that LAD program if you really want to complete that circle and make sure you're blocked uh, as well as going through that privacy IKO code. And then you would subscribe and, and go to FAA's division that provides that PIA code. So you go through the FAA for both LAD and PIA right now.
0: Both of these programs have been around for a while now, Heidi. How have they been received by business aviation operators?
1: Many of the business aviation community have utilized what was the BAR program and then transitioned to the LAD program for over a decade. And so we have many, many operators who are taking advantage of LAD today. PIA came online just a few months after the ADSB out mandate in January of 2020, and we have had some challenges we've worked through, and the FAA continues to work through those to help operators get over the challenge of integrating that new hex code. And so we continue to work with the FAA towards making that process a bit simpler, more agile. And the FAA is making provision to allow operators to hopefully get those codes in a more timely fashion.
0: More of our conversation in just a moment after this message from NBAA.
1: NBAA Flight Plan listeners, are you getting recognized for your leadership? NBAA now offers certificates and other credentials in safety, sustainability, and more. Visit NBAA.org to apply today. We're back
0: now with NBAA's Heidi Williams and Doug Carr and our discussion about programs available to help operators block their flight movements from commercial tracking providers. And Doug, I am one of those people who regularly visit those flight tracking websites when I hear an aircraft flying overhead. I'm sure lots of our listeners do the same. And I've noticed that one site may indeed have that identifying information blocked, but another may have that information open for all to see. End number, registered owner, departure airport, etc. What steps can operators take to shield that data across multiple sources?
2: There are a couple of important components of flight tracking that I would say are important for us to highlight. The first is that any data that is sourced by or from the FAA, and there are many flight tracking companies out there that utilize some component of data derived by the FAA. If that data is derived in any way from the FAA, then that flight tracking service is obliged to comply with blocking requests coming from operators. The third-party block is usually where, where that request is enacted. And so on many of the flight tracking providers, you will see that there is a target, but that information is not shareable. Hence, you'll see blocked or unavailable or something similar. The other components of flight tracking service providers are the independent networks of hobbyist antennas stationed in residences largely around the country and around the globe that aggregate independently sourced non-FAA data of MODES transponder emissions providing an independent flight tracking capability not reliant on FAA services and as a result they are not subject to blocking requests that we have worked with the FAA to create and so that's why you're seeing The ability on one website to track an airplane very specifically about who it is and what kind of airplane it is. And on another website, all you may see is a target with blocked information.
1: Rob, I'm going to just add to what Doug has shared because it's a really important point. We saw the FAA, when they transitioned the BAR program to LAD. With that transition, they really ramped up that accountability with third party vendors who acquire FAA data. And those agreements stipulated the necessity to ensure that data remained blocked. That independent network that Doug referenced is not subject to the same agreements with FAA data. And since they're utilizing their own network of data, it really is a bit of a game changer. And so we saw the FAA really step up and enhance those agreements they have with their data. But that does not preclude your data from being shared when it's coming through an independent network.
0: So if an operator determines that identifiable data has been compromised or it's showing up on a flight tracking site, what do they need to do to secure that data?
1: That's a really pertinent question, and it's one that many of the business aviation community are, are asking right now with some events over the, the last few months. It's really come to light that there is a, a time element that is super critical, if, especially when you go through the LAD and the PIA program. If you find that your information has been compromised or there's a security breach the FAA has allowed for the, the fact that you can acquire a new PIA code in a timely fashion. You simply need to reach out to them through their PIA portal. And so they will uh, provide a new IKO code in a, a very short time frame that allows you to stay one step ahead of that independent network and folks who are attempting to track your information inside 60 days.
2: Rob, in addition to Heidi's really good detail about how the program works, FAA has set a baseline of being able to change your code, basically to request a new ICAO hex code every 60 days. That's how the program was built, and that's how it's managed today. But as Heidi mentioned, where the operator has an understanding, a belief, knowledge, Examples of that code being compromised, basically where that code is now being used to identify an owner, an aircraft, the FAA will work with that operator directly to secure a new code.
1: And Rob, let me just provide that email because, again, it's going through the FAA to acquire that new code in a a manner that's inside that 60-day window, right? And so operators would need to go back to the FAA at adsbprivacyiko at faa.gov. And that starts that process to get you a new code inside 60 days. It's all about, you know, agility and, and allowing for a system that's flexible enough to adapt to technology and to folks that are utilizing an independent network. And and we find that the FAA is is working to do that. Doug, what else
0: do operators need to know about these programs?
2: So maybe two things. First, I wanted to highlight for the listeners that prior to diving into an application request with the FAA for a PIA code, it's important that the operator understand the level of difficulty that will be involved in making the change to their code. Each avionics suite, each aircraft will have some uniqueness to it about the process involved in getting in and changing the code. Each time the code changes, it is considered a maintenance item, and there will need to be log book entries and appropriate personnel involved. So it's, it's important the operator understand the amount of work that will be involved before requesting that code. Some folks have made the decision that due to the complexity and difficulty of changing the code, they would not participate. But others have decided that it is worth the level of effort to minimize the chances they'll be identified. Additionally, as Heidi mentioned, we've got several efforts ongoing right now in parallel to explore growth of the program in terms of where it can be used and how it can be used. A lot of the airspace that the U.S. manages but does not own cannot be used today by the PIA program aircraft. Think of airspace off of our East Coast, some of those oceanic routes that get you from New York down to Florida and further out into the uh, Atlantic and a big chunk of the Pacific, all of that being oceanic airspace that the U.S. manages but does not control The U.S. does not have the ability to stipulate how that airspace access is managed, and as a result, the U.S. needs to coordinate the expansion of the PIA program into that airspace with ICAO through awareness, and if any agreement changes are needed, that needs to take place there. Additionally, we have heard from several operators that having access to multiple codes could be very beneficial as well. There are uh, standards and recommended practices in place set forth by ICAO and implemented by the FAA that could make that difficult today, the ability of the FAA to issue multiple codes to a single operator at once. But we're working through understanding FAA's application of the ICAO standard to explore if there are ways for us to provide some of this additional flexibility to operators that really have privacy and security at the top of their list. I think the final takeaway I'd like to share is that understanding that a vulnerability exists usually provides a lot of opportunity to determine pathways to create added security in other ways. Knowing that flight tracking could be a vulnerability for operators should give them an ability to create uh, alternative security measures and plans to retain a level of security for their operation in a way that may not rely exclusively on flight tracking.
1: Rob, let me add to what Doug shared. On the airspace side of things, we see operators routinely transiting East Coast and often the deep waters or what's now called the waters was previously the Zuzu route. It's a great option, right? For opting out of going sometimes what seems to be a very lengthy reroute inland, but that is where PIA right now becomes a challenge because that is technically not domestic airspace. It is managed by the FAA, and and you are talking to FAA air traffic control, but it's technically not domestic airspace. So that is one area. We've had some very robust discussions with the FAA uh, in the last couple of months to determine how we can ensure that that airspace is an area where your PIA can be utilized. That is not the case today, so it's something we're going to continue to have robust discussions with them and work through.
0: Again, for more information about LAD and PIA, visit lad.faa.gov. And for the very latest about these and other matters affecting operator privacy in the age of ADS-B, visit nbaa.org privacy. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan.